Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hello, friends. Jack, Flight School O'Brien here, uh, also known as Jack. Still can touch Ned if I get a running start and haven't eaten heavy breakfast, O'Brien. Uh, both nicknames that I go by inviting you to check out miles and Jack got mad boosties for a weekly basketball conversation with me and my co-host from the daily zeitgeist miles gray. We are joined by comedians, writers, podcasters, and fellow NBA fans. As we discuss the latest news and events from around the league, check it out. Miles and Jack got mad boosties brought to you by the first ever Toyota grand Highlander. This is the Pittsburgh city cast with Tim Benz presented by bet rivers. I think we're just competing hard at the net front. You know, we're going in front of the net and some great tips. Sometimes those don't always go in, and unfortunately for us, uh, they did tonight. So, um, you know, whether we're getting tips or, you know, second chances, uh, I think it's just, you know, guys getting pucks through and then obviously guys competing to get to the net. So there was a day last week where I went six for seven, and I thought to myself, I should tweet about all my wild success. And then I thought, nah. You know what, because as soon as I do that, I'll have a day where nothing goes right and everybody will be mocking me for what I didn't do right and no one will really remember when I told you I did everything right. Karma, right? Sure enough, guess what happened? And I just thought it. I didn't even say it out loud or tweet it. Tim Benz here on the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Yep, the Penguins win 7-2 over the Rangers and the Pirates beat the Dodgers 5-1. to Rarely am I more sure about any single individual regular season baseball game than I am a playoff hockey game mid-series. But after, what was it, 17 or 18 straight losses to the Dodgers, I was pretty sure the Pirates were going to lose last night to L.A. at PNC Park, especially since they just lost 2-3 or three against the stinking Reds. At least the under held, I got that right. Not the team under for the Buckos, though that was at three or three and a half either way they blew by that win five to one so a loser there a loser on the result with the Dodgers falling 
to the Pirates and a loser at PPG Paints Arena where I expected a bounce-back game from Igor Shosturkin and the Rangers, and I didn't get it. Instead, we got exactly the opposite. We got more the same for the Penguins against Igor and company. Another touchdown on the board for the second straight night, and now the Pens have a 3-1 series lead in that best of seven. Vetrano and Cop they didn't even score for the Rangers in the loss. What the heck is going on around here? It is hockey playoff time, and Bet Rivers has a special offer through the entire NHL playoffs. Throughout the playoffs, place three same-game parlays of $10 or more on each round and receive $10, a free bet, at the conclusion of each round. Think of it as a betting hat trick. Terms and conditions apply. Create your ideal combo with same-game parlays on the Bet Rivers app or at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, now this is what it looks like to break a goalie. Penguins fans should know. They've seen it before. Go back and look at the Penguins versus that season's Vezina winner in the playoffs over the past 40 years. 96, round one versus Washington. Jim Carey annihilated him. Round one, 2000, Olaf Kolzig beat him. Round two, Dominic Hasek outlasted him in 2001. Round two, 2016, Brayden Holtby, Washington, chased him out of the playoffs. Sergei Bobrovsky, 2017, round one, the Blue Jackets. Part of his legacy of postseason failure is that series against the Penguins. And now Igor Shosturkin in 2022 which is why I chuckled when I saw Penguins fans suggesting that their team had somehow gotten in the head of Shesterkin after Game 2 of the Eastern Conference playoff series, a game that he won 5-2, to two, a game in which he dazzled, stopping 39 of 41 shots. Going back to the triple overtime marathon game of Game 1, Shesterkin kept the puck out of his net on 118 of 124 shots. That's a 952 save percentage. And those two performances and what Shesterkin did to the Penguins in the regular season, which was allowing just four total goals over four games, I found myself being stunned anytime he let a puck get beyond him. After the last two games now, I'm stunned anytime he stops one, especially from Jake Gensel. Wow, has he been good. His fifth goal of the series was the third of the night on Monday night for the Pens en route to a 7-2 throttling of the Rangers. And the Penguins now with a 3-1 series lead in the best of seven. Take a look at those numbers again from the two games at Madison Square Garden for Sisterk and now compare them to the 10 goals he has allowed on 45 shots and 60 total minutes of play over two games. The Igor, Igor, Igor chants were so deafening from Penguins fans. I think even Johnny Cueto would have thought the crowd was being too tough on the guy. Shesterkin never exactly dropped a puck into his own net, but if Russell Martin had been the Penguins' fourth line, I guarantee you he would have scored a goal against him too. The Penguins' sixth goal of the game was a redirection. One of the ones like Crosby was mentioning at the outset of the podcast today came from Jeff Carter in the final seconds of the second period, and as soon as the goal horn sounded, Shesterkin's body language illustrated how truly defeated he was. Shesterkin was flailing and swimming and fishing and hunting for the puck. Despite the five-goal onslaught, though, in the second, Rangers head coach Gerard Gallant left Shesterkin on the ice to take the beating until benching him after the intermission. 
after pulling Shesterkin from the contest following 20 minutes in Game 3, you could tell Gallant didn't want to do it again in Game 4 out of fear of maybe ruining his star netminder for the rest of the series. So Gallant left him in and may have ruined him for the rest of the series. Yet the coach says he's sticking by the presumptive Vezina Trophy winner for Game 5. He's probably real frustrated. I mean, I don't know. There's probably four goals that were deflected tonight, so... Again, it's a team effort, and uh, he'll be back in there, and he'll ready to win the next game on Wednesday night. So I've got all the confidence in the world in him, and uh, like I said, it was a tough night for our team, and um, he's not even close to being I'm disappointed in more than our team than him. Like, there's not a chance that three of, at least three bucks were deflected by him, and, but we just played a soft game. Yeah. So that decision has been made. You're yes. Mm-hmm. Best goalie in the league, so I'm going to go with him. Gallant preferred to shift his anger towards the rest of the team. Rangers coach channeled his inner Mike Terrian and called his team soft on numerous occasions. He referred to their effort as a total team disappointment and scolded the squad for not being committed to playing the right way. Here, take a listen to some of his postgame remarks. Disappointing. Yeah. Total team disappointment. No, there wasn't much commitment to playing defense tonight. We got away from it. One goal, two goals. Uh, played soft. We're soft all over the ice. That's the biggest difference. We're soft all over the ice. There's a huge jump from the regular season to the playoffs. And you have a lot of guys who are going through this for the first time. Is inexperience showing in this series? I, I wouldn't use the word inexperience. I'd use the word not committed to playing the right way. You know, I mean, we played the right way in in, uh, in New York. There's no reason why we can't wait play the right way tonight. And uh, it's not from the inexperienced guys either. I mean, they're they're a part of our group. But tonight, you've seen a lot of a lot of stuff, bad plays by a lot of people. It was a team effort tonight. Does it make you scratch your head in such a big game? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it happens around the league. But I'm worried about my team, and I don't like what I saw tonight. Now, Gallant's not wrong. For as much as Shesterkin has been roasted by the Penguins, his Rangers teammates have done nothing to help the cause. On Monday, they allowed 41 shots at Shesterkin and his relief goaltender, Alexander Zgorev. That was after both goalies combined to see 37 shots on Saturday and a total of 202 over four games. The Pens totaled just 101 in the four regular season games against the Rangers all put together. When Zagoriev's name was announced as the goalie to start the third period, the crowd at PPG Paints Arena immediately and frequently chanted, We want Igor! We want Igor! A thought that would have seemed like lunacy just two games ago to actually want that guy on the ice if you're a Penguins fan. And if you remember, going back to the fourth and final game of the Penguins' regular season series, Shesterkin mockingly waved goodbye to the Penguins after a post-game scrum which followed a 3-0 Rangers victory at MSG. And based on how the Penguins have blistered Shesterkin in the last two games of the series, they've now put themselves in a position to wave goodbye to the whole Rangers team in Game 5 Wednesday night. Now then, back to the action last night throughout the NHL. Another foul ball for me was thinking that Nashville could win one for pride against the Colorado Avalanche. Nope, forget that. The Avs score... Two minutes in and gave up the lead in the third. 
then blitzed the Preds into elimination with three late goals in the third period. I did get the Flames right. I got the under right there against the Stars, too. It held at 4-1, barely. The bounce-back theory comes into play. And I did get the bounce-back theory to work for me in Panthers versus Caps, too. Again, barely. Florida won in overtime, 3-2. But, man, that one made me sweat. And the Caps continue to impress, and Florida continues to stay alive just by the skin of its teeth. I mean, if Toronto and Florida win their respective series, are they both capable of choking away the next round against each other? Like, does either team technically have to advance? I I think that might be the case. So, all in all, not a terrible night, just down a smidge, but it was the Pittsburgh games and bets that burned me. The others I did okay on, at least in hockey. Speaking of Toronto and hockey tonight, let's get to that. The series with the Leafs and Lightning has been so tough to call, so back and forth. I'm leaving it alone. There may be value in the Bolts at plus 100 with so much pressure on Toronto in front of the home crowd. If I have to pick that game, that's what I'll pick. And the over two at plus 102 on a six and a half goal line. But it's such a hard series to call. I do love the Hurricanes tonight. I think Boston had its last gasp, its false dawn. Hurricanes win tonight back at home where the home ice seems to matter there. They are minus 148 to win. That doesn't scare me. I may even go one and a half on the puck line. I might give that and get plus 170 back. The Blues and Wild, another tough one. I thought this was a seven-game series in favor of St. Louis, so that would suggest Minnesota winning at home at minus 148, and then St. Louis winning game six, but St. Louis winning tonight is at plus 120. If I make a pick on this game, that's where I go. Uh, I go to get a little extra value there. Again, though, it's a tough series to call. It's a tough five-game split right now to call, much like Tampa and Toronto. Oilers and Kings knotted up at two. I like the Oilers here. I don't love the minus 200 to earn it. That may be the smartest thing to do here, though. I will say this, though. Back in Edmonton, and the over-under is minus 106 at 6.5. That's inexpensive for a game where I think Edmonton is going to go and just come out flying. Maybe an in-game parlay here of Oilers minus 200 straight up and the over. Uh, that might be the smart thing to do. In baseball terms, as far as that goes with the Pirates, who knows? I mean, if they could beat the Dodgers as soundly as they did last night, they could do it again, I suppose. But so much of that was Quintana. The first Pirates pitcher to go over 100 pitches in a season. Buckos plus 205 today. Dodgers minus 245. I think the under is the smartest thing again tonight at minus 106. It's cheap. Um, even when the Pirates were on, they only put up five against the Dodgers. In-game parlay again. Yeah, maybe give it a shot. Take the Dodgers and also take the under. That's probably what I'm going to do. Our buddy Mike Pursuta will be all over this one. Tigers and A's. He loves betting the team that loses the first game of the doubleheader to win the second. That's been good money for him. Here's another chance. How about Mets, Cardinals, Brewers on a parlay? First place Brewers against the last place Reds in the Central. First place Mets against the last place Nats in the East. 16-12 Cardinals, the 12-7 Orioles. That cashes out at plus 279. Uh, There's a fun one to get in on today if you want to spread the money around on a parlay. Or you can sprinkle in the Dodgers and make it a four-teamer. That would work, too. All right, we come back. Brian Metzer, Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. We talk about the Pens winning game four and putting themselves up 3-1 to going to MSG 
A chance to eliminate the Rangers on Wednesday night. Mets is next for our weekly hockey talk. That's coming up right here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. It's a long ball weekend at Bet River Sportsbook, and you can win a $25 free bet whether your players go deep or punch out. To earn the free bet, place a $25 bet on any player to hit a home run in each game of this weekend's Yankees-White Sox series. You must make the home run bet in all three games of the series to earn the free bet. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Will the wind blow out on the south side this weekend? Make your bets today on the Bet Rivers app or go to BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back to the Pittsburgh CityCast. Time for another hockey podcast with Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. He joins us once a week, as he does with me over at Breakfast with Ben's at Trib Live. You can read me Monday through Friday there, and you can hear Mets pregame, postgame, and intermission, at least for the time being. Oh, also Penguins Live Weekly on Saturdays. But he's doing the pregame now. He did for Game 4. He will for Game 5 because both Josh Getzoff and Phil Bork are on the protocol list. So because of that, that means that Mets slides up to do pregame and Steige will do the play-by-play for Game 5 with Colby Armstrong as he did for Game 4. So I guess Mets has a little magic karma to him. As he takes over for free game, what happens? The Penguins score seven goals and beat Igor Shosturkin. But then again, that did happen in game three as well. So Mets refuses to take total credit, but he'll try to take a little. And we'll take what we can right now in Pittsburgh when it comes to the Penguins and what they're doing against the Rangers and goalie Igor Shosturkin. A complete 180 from what we saw in the regular season. Yeah, uh, you know, I can't take full credit for it. However, I just kept it rolling because uh, it, no, it's just funny to see the way we are looking at everything today, Tim, compared to where we were, what, two weeks ago, where all of us were saying, oh, we're lucky if this is a five-game series, the Penguins are going to go quietly into the night. Well, it may end up being a five-game series, but it might be in favor of the Pittsburgh Penguins. They have found a way to solve the young Igor Shesterkin. And I don't know how much the the fans in Pittsburgh have played into that, but it certainly seemed like he's having a tough time dealing with the Igor chance, dealing with the just that rush of energy coming from the stands, the team coming at him in waves, because on top of it, the Penguins are feeding off of that just as much and look like an entirely different hockey club, more like the one that was rolling through the schedule back in December and early January, etc., They've really just found a way to master this Rangers team. And if you saw the New York Post cover on Tuesday morning, they are excoriating them. It said uh, Shisterkis or something like that. And uh, kind of just ripping on the Rangers very, uh, very much so and saying that they are on the, the brink of elimination here. Well, you know, I'll look at it this way, Mets, to go back to your point about how the tide has turned in terms of our optimism. And yes, it's a full 180. And I don't know how much of this has to do with it running down Shesterkin's leg and maybe the Rangers not being ready for prime time uh, or how much this is the Penguins rediscovering what they had when they went, you know, 17-3 and in the middle of the winter. But that had been so long ago that I just didn't think they'd be able to re-channel what they had before. No, that's a good point, and, and I'm with you. I, I mean, the way they played down the stretch, Tim, I mean – what, seven wins, I think, in their last 18 games? We just had kind of written them off. They weren't they weren't playing defense. They weren't getting goaltending. 
They were having a lot of trouble scoring goals, specifically secondary scoring. It was all on the big guys or nothing. Well, that's what it looked like a little bit through the first two games in terms of the scoring anyway. They were very heavily reliant on the Sidney Crosby line. Evgeny Malkin was the only player not on that line that had a goal. And then you get into these two games in Pittsburgh, and suddenly they just blow up. You have Heinen on the board, Jeff Carter on the board, even Mark Friedman getting himself a goal. Everybody kind of contributing and chipping in here. And they just look like they have finally regained some of their structure. And yes, the Rangers are playing into that a little bit, but their defensive game looks more solid. There's still been some giveaways. I think that that's, you know, flying under the radar a little bit with the success they've had with these wins. But they've had a couple moments where they maybe lapsed into a bad habit or two. But they've been able to bottle the Rangers up. They've been able to really kind of get their forecheck going, which has worked really well. And one thing that was um, pretty evident last night, and I, I think I heard uh, Army and, and Paul Steigerwald talking about this on the broadcast. If you look at the Rangers' D, they're kind of panicking coming out of their zone. They're co- trying to go D to D, breaking out. And that's allowing the Penguins forecheckers, who may have not been able to keep up with that speedier team in the regular season, to get in on them and to make them make a hasty decision, which turns into a bad pass into the neutral zone that's getting picked off, and the Penguins turn it right back up ice. So they found a pretty good solution here for kind of controlling what the Rangers are doing when they break out of the zone, and they're turning it into offense. So it's been fun to see just the way that energy was. I can't say I've seen PPG Paints Arena like that maybe since the cup years. And some people are saying it was louder than maybe it's been in that building, uh, which is, it's crazy to see that the team's gotten that kind of energy from themselves and the crowd. Ryan Metzer, Pittsburgh Penguins radio network beyond Shesterkin, not playing well and the finish that the Penguins have had, which obviously hadn't been there against him and many times, many games over the course of the last month and a half of the season. I'm just impressed with the amount of offense they've generated because that's what was absent in the four games against the Rangers more than anything else. I mean, it wasn't just that they weren't scoring against Shesterkin. Four games, four (laughs) goals in the regular season against him. It's that they weren't getting shots. They only got 101 total shots, so 25.2 shots per game. Very unimpressive total in four games against the Rangers. They have 202 in four games against the Rangers so far this series. So what are they doing to generate as much offense before the puck even goes into the net, Mets? It just seems to me that they put a focus or an onus on putting pucks on Shesterkin from every which way. They're throwing pucks at him from odd angles. They're coming out from behind the net with shots on goal. You saw Teddy Bluger in game, uh, game four come out with a great wraparound chance that wasn't a goal. But they're kind of coming at him in ways that they didn't in the regular season. I don't know if they were overthinking it then. I mean, I don't believe they topped 30 shots in the game against the Rangers and normally came in far below that, which you just pointed to. And here they are. Uh, I know it's bolstered by the game one overtime, but they're averaging 50.5 shots a game in the playoffs almost every night going over 30 shots now. And I think that really is just due to them making a concerted effort to go low to high sometimes and get those point shots. They're getting some contributions from the back end in terms of the shots on goal. If you look at um, their defensive players, uh, I just was trying to pull that up here. You have, excuse me, sorry, I I have a frog in my throat. It's not COVID, I assure you, unlike some of these folks that we're dealing with on the Penguins radio network. But their defensemen are starting to get pucks to the net. Um, They've overcome the loss of Brian Dumoulin, uh, which is just a defensive thing, which is surprising because he is such an important player for them. But to the point about the shots, Tim, I think that that is just the thing. 
They're they're getting speed into the zone. They're doing it off the rush. They've got the what Sullivan dubbed an elite grind game from their top players, and then their their bottom six are putting together a grind game down low. So when they get in on the four check and and cycle, they are producing shots off of that by creating turnovers and just throwing them to the net. You saw it on the Evgeny Malkin goal uh, in Game Four, where Gino picked the pocket, gets it to Kapanen, gets it right back to him for a shot, which end, which ends up in a goal on Georgiev. So it just seems that that was the plan. Shoot from everywhere, shoot from bad angles, because you're going to get rebound opportunities. And we've seen them beat Shesterkin with a lot of those second opportunities that were not there in the regular season. Mets going to MSG for Game 5. Do you think it ends there, or does it come back for a Game 6? Well, you know, you, you have to kind of temper expectation here because we all get sucked into thinking, well, Penguins look so good the way that they just went through these first four games. Because even in game two, you know, you can make a case that they were right in it until the third period. So, yeah, I feel like they have a pretty good opportunity to close it out in New York, specifically because uh, Gerard Gallant already said he's going to go back to Shesterkin in goal. And if they can touch him up early and get a couple of goals on the board, maybe they close it out. However, that is still a very good Rangers team. I know they've looked uncharacteristically bad. I uh, talked to Dan Rosen from NHL.com, who covers them so closely, and he said that they look as bad as they have all season long, and he compares it to the way they looked <clears throat> Excuse me, back in the early parts of the season where their defense was just terrible and they relied so heavily on Shesterkin to steal games for them. So if they play like that, I think the Penguins have a solid chance. If they go back into playing how they were from about New Year's on or actually even November on, then the Penguins could get a, a pretty solid pushback from them and it could force a game six back in Pittsburgh. So I don't want to just write it off as saying it's over. However, I'm not going to be surprised if the Penguins find a way to close it out because they have such a wave of momentum now. And in Stanley Cup playoff series, Tim, momentum can be huge. And then you stir in a little bit of a mental crack that they've formed in Shesterkin. If he is in the game, and I imagine he'll be on a short leash, I think that that could be a recipe for disaster for the Rangers if the Penguins get a couple on him early on. Another surprise to me, Mets, beyond just what we're seeing offensively from the Penguins being able to blister Shesterkin in the way that they have, is the fact that the Rangers, as talented offensively as they should be, haven't been able to really get to Louis Domingue yet. That's been uh, the remarkable turn of events here because the Ming being the journeyman, you never knew how he was going to fare in this. You're, you're crazy thinking that he could win series by himself. Well, he's doing just enough to get the Penguins by. And I think it really speaks to the way that they're playing here, Tim, because if you look at it, it's not that dissimilar to the way they were back in 2016 when they were closing games out where they limited opportunities. I mean, they held the Rangers to just five shots in the third period of game four. They held them to eight shots in the first period after they were, you know, kind of all over them. It's a 1-1 hockey game where they limited their opportunities in such a way that Domingue was never really overly tested. And I think that that's what they're doing. They're making sure that he has to face one shot, clearing a rebound, and kind of helping him out. And uh, that that is how they won back, back in 16. I mean, they did that quite a bit, made sure that they weren't giving up a lot of opportunities. And I know your Robert Morris partner, Mike Pursuta, would cringe by me saying this. But when you look at natural stat trick, for example, in a game like the game four situation, high danger chances in that game were Penguins 20 to one for the New York Rangers. Jeez. And the scoring, the scoring chances were 34 to 18. 
So the Penguins are really pushing the offense all over the Rangers, making sure that Deming only has to face a one-and-done situation on the other end of the ice. He makes a save. They clear it away. He's also getting them some face-offs. He's, he's gloving the puck and kind of, you know, you know, whistling it down so that they can get a moment to regroup when they are scrambling in their own zone. But in these last two games, I haven't seen them scramble in their own zone. That hasn't happened since probably game two, and it was usually whenever the Rangers were on the power play getting all that sustained zone time. That's the other thing I think that's working for the Penguins here. Just one penalty against them in game four. They did a nice job of staying out of the box in game three as well. So if they, they do that, limit the, the Rangers' power play, and keep those shot totals down, that's why they've not been able to get to Louis Domingue. When they, if they were going to get a lot of those second and third opportunities on him, when he scrambles, I think they'd find a way to break through. That's not happened. Mets, the second period was such an onslaught against Shesterkin. I almost got the sense in watching it, it felt like to me Gallant was trying his hardest to not pull Shesterkin because he yeah. thought if he did, he'd ruin him. And in the process, he might have ruined him. <laughs> because like I just felt like he was trying to get to intermission and not humiliate him by pulling him off the ice. And well, frankly, you know, I, I think if they get out of that without giving up the sixth goal, maybe the fifth goal, he doesn't pull him and he puts him back out there for the third, but he couldn't do it. And, you know, I, pulling him twice in back to back games, he already looks very fragile to me. I don't think he can handle that. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, I think once Adam Fox got the goal. He was feeling like, okay, I can give this kid a chance. Uh, it was kind of one of those goals that could turn a hockey game, too, because it was fluky. It went off the skate of Mike Matheson. And they were, what, six minutes away from an intermission at that point. So if they could weather the storm, get to the break, they could kind of maybe make an adjustment or two and come back out to the point you just made. But unfortunately for the youngster, uh, which was not all that young. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's not like he's 18 or something. He's had a lot of experience playing hockey internationally, et cetera. Well, he comes out and he gets flamed for those two late ones in the final two minutes of play. And they both come in similar fashion with these deflections. He doesn't seem to have an answer for that. And uh, Gallant was kind of just sitting there. And I think he was as shell-shocked as anybody else. I did feel a little bit bad for Shesterkin on the last one, Tim. When the goal from Carter went in, you saw him kind of look to the heavens, shake his head. His body language was terrible. And as you said, that probably did more damage to him than good. He should have thought about pulling him. But I, I think Fox probably gave them false confidence. And the next thing you know, the poor kid gets to, you know, flame for a couple more. And now um, I, I don't want to say he's ruined long term. I don't think this is a Jim Carrey situation uh, like we saw happen after he was a Vesna Trophy winner for the Caps back in the day and then got unceremoniously uh, kicked out of the league after what I think like two seasons after that. In this case, I think Shesterkin's still going to be able to bounce back but it may not be in this series. He, he looks like he may be dead to rights moving forward. And maybe, um, no pun intended here, the the cockroach uh, on his back laying dead a couple games ago, maybe he's biting him in the backside a little bit here because the hockey gods tend to react unfavorably when you do things that aren't necessarily on the up and up in their eyes. Yeah, I don't know how much I want to affix to game two. I'm just going to say that he can't handle the road pressure in game three and yep. four. You know, like, and I'm That's interested exactly to it. see what happens when he gets back to New York. I think he will settle down there, Tim. I mean, he's you know as well as I do, the Rangers fans are going to do exactly what the Penguins fans did. They're going to start getting Louis Chance going, and they're going to try and get into Ming's head, and they very well may. I mean, this is a guy that is a third-string goaltender for the Penguins for a reason. But all of that said, 
he has no pressure on him at all. All of the pressure is going to be on the Rangers. It's all going to be on Shesterkin. And the Penguins can kind of just get in there and to use the, the Sullivanism, just play. They can go out, play their game, try and wrap it up. And I feel like even if they do get the chance going in a, a jeering fashion, I think Deming will feed off of that. If you hear this kid talk, he is just drinking in every moment of this, saying it's been his his dream to play in the playoffs, to have this kind of opportunity. His dream was to play in Madison Square Garden as well. You, I'm sure you're familiar with the story that has been told a lot over the last two weeks. He went as a 15-year-old with his father because there, his aunt lived, I think he said in in Queens and they were visiting with her a lot during that period in time. He wanted to go to MSG for a visit and they went to a security guard and the guard wouldn't let them in. And Deming said, well, I'll be back here playing one day. And the guy kind of laughed in his face. Well, he's getting that chance yet again here in game five. So he has nothing to lose. I think he'll go in there and be relaxed as will the penguins. And um, we'll see how it goes. But I think Shesterkin will certainly be a more relaxed player, not having to deal with the Igor chance. Did you catch the chance after he was pulled from the game last night uh, as well, Tim, where they started chanting, we want Igor. Yes, after he we was want Igor. Yes. <laughs> I thought that was a nice touch. And Gorev, um, I don't know if it makes sense from a long-term perspective to go to him. I mean, he definitely doesn't, doesn't seem to be as adversely affected by the crowd. I mean, it's like he wasn't even there, Mets. Everybody was still looking at Shesterkin on his stool in the runway, you know? It's like, yep. I, I get where Gallant is coming from, and you dance with the one with Brungia and all that other stuff, but uh, if he struggles again the first, you can't do what you did for a third time and just leave him out there to roast. No, you can't, but, you, you know, the, the thing with Georgiev, in relief, he's come in and he's actually looked pretty good. He's allowed two goals on 31 shots. He has a 2.04 goals against in the series, 9.35 save percentage. So if I were Gallant, I mean, see, that's what's so tough. And by the way, that's the most a- amazing stat of this whole series, Mets, is that the save percentage for Shesterkin and Deming is almost identical. Yeah. <laughs> like one of them's at 9.05 and the other one's at 9.06. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you would never expect that to be the case, right? I mean, and, and if I'm Gerard Gallant right now, Tim, I don't want to have to make the decision. I, he's Like I said, he already announced that Shesterkin will be in. However, it would be an easy decision to say Georgiev has looked pretty good. Maybe I'll start game five with him. But if you lose, then he's going to get torn to shreds because he left the potential Vesna Trophy winner on the bench, not giving him a chance to bounce back. But if the kid gets flamed again, why didn't you go to Georgiev? This is one of those, you know, catch-22 situations. But I, I do think that uh, both of those goalies will fare better in their home rink going back home. But uh, Georgiev in the third period in game four, Tim, he looked pretty good. The Penguins came in waves to start the third, and he he allows just the, the Evgeny Malkin goal on the 11 shots that he faced. Thought he was really solid, and he kind of relaxed the Rangers. So, I think, if anything, Shesterkin will start that game, but Gallant will not be hesitant to go to him if they get themselves you know, a couple of goals on the board. I, I think the, the Shesterkin leash will be shorter than six, as it was here in game four. Last thing, Mets, on this. What are the Penguins doing to get out of their own zone better than they were in the regular season against these guys? Well, it seems like they. it almost looked a little Rangers-esque. I mean, if you look at the way the Rangers were playing against them, in the regular season, they got a quick stretch pass up to the to the neutral zone, and then they would kind of zigzag through there. I've seen the Penguins do that a little bit. There's been a little bit of crossover happening 
with the Penguins forwards. They've hit them with speed, uh, and they've been able to press back the, the Rangers' defense. I don't know how big the loss of Ryan Lindgren has been in this series, but Rangers fans would tell you it's been bigger than it, it might appear. But he has been out for the last handful of games, did not play in game four either, and he is a top-pairing defenseman for them. And I, I think that the Penguins have gotten a little more space out there because of that. The rest of the Rangers' blue line is, is you know, overall kind of a young group, and this is their first taste of a lot of this stuff as well. So I, I think that's what it is, Tim. The Penguins are just coming up fast, getting it out of the zone, not not a lot of dumb passes in zone, which is what the Rangers are doing. I pointed to them going D to D before they break out. Penguins aren't doing that. They're getting it right up to the forwards in the neutral zone and then kind of coming with speed through there, and I think that's been the key. All right, Mets, how about the rest of the uh, Eastern Conference, the rest of the league? What do you see and what do you expect? Well, the Caps blew it uh, last night. Yeah. They looked like they were about to go up 3-1 to one in their series, so they've given the Panthers life a 3-2 winners in game four there. So that's all tied up at two. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of that. The Caps had done a nice job of kind of limiting the Panthers' offense. They were the highest-scoring team in the league, and here they are kind of looking like they've woken up a little bit. So that'll be one to keep our eye on to see if they blow it. Um, the Hurricanes, I think, were surprised to see the Bruins tie their series. They're starting to maybe get some contributions finally from the quote-unquote perfection line, which I'm kind of sick of hearing about because they haven't been perfect for most of this season. But those guys are starting to get some points. Brad Marchand tied with Sid for second overall in the NHL uh, scoring race in the playoffs. And if he gets going, we know Patrice Bergeron is going to do what he needs to do. He took the, the high stick to the eye the other day, came back with the, the blood running down and uh, was involved heavily on a power play that was a kind of a game turner uh, the other day. So I think that that'll be one to keep an eye on as well. But those series both being tied at two are going to probably go down to the brink. Bunch of good teams involved. We know that the entire Eastern Conference paraded out eight teams with 100 points. I know they all came in with differing play style down the stretch in terms of being bad or good, but they all really had nice seasons. So that's kind of translated into the playoffs. And the other series I left out here is the Leafs and the, and the Lightning. That's two heavyweights. It looked like the Leafs were maybe going to run away with it, but the Tampa Bay Lightning have other plans. And they're being led by Victor Hedman, of all people, which I'm not surprised about because he was over a point-of-game player this season, really had himself an outstanding year, and he is leading the charge as that big Swedish Viking on the back end along with the grizzled vet of Steven Stamkos, looking like he's having a resurgent year as well. So a lot of fun to watch all of these series in the East, probably even more so than the ones in the West, even though they've it's all been entertaining hockey to me, Tim. These series are all close other than the Colorado one, and um, I think that's good for the league because it's, it's a lot of give and take and a lot of ebbs and flows of the momentum, and uh, they like it whenever these series go long. It's good for the TV. All right, Matt, thanks a bunch, and we'll be listening to you pregame, postgame, intermission as you take over more than double duty. Thanks for doing it today <laughs> with us, and uh, we'll listen to the broadcast on Wednesday as the Penguins look to eliminate the Rangers and come back. They've done it once before immediately, and they've also seen a th We're not going to – we're beyond Mother's Day, and Martin St. Louis no longer plays for the Rangers, so we don't have to worry about that, right? <laughs> I was just going to say that. It's terrible. But, yeah, uh, there's nothing like that. I don't see a storyline like that that could emerge, but that doesn't mean crazy things could happen. We've seen the Penguins blow the 3-1 the lead, as you just mentioned. Uh, I think that in this case, though – they will have what it takes to get this series done, even if it's not in Game 5. All right, Mets, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, my friend. Thanks for this as always.
Yeah, so thanks to Mets. A couple quick football notes before we get out of here. Another name being linked to a second general manager interview with the Steelers. It is Pitt alum Doug Whaley, my colleague over at Channel 11 for the final word. That's according to Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network. Whaley was a pro personnel coordinator under outgoing GM Kevin Colbert for 10 years from Upper St. Clair. Became the assistant GM and director of pro personnel with the Buffalo Bills in 2010 before taking the GM job there in 2013. Held that post until 2017 when he was relieved of his duties. Since then, he spent 2018 as a recruiter for the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. Now the vice president of player personnel, the XFL. Uh, Tennessee Titans vice president of player personnel, Ryan Cowden. And Tampa Bay Buccaneers vice president of player personnel, John Spitek are also reportedly in line for second conversations. Meanwhile, some of the Steelers' other candidates are getting interest down the turnpike, according to ProFootballTalk.com. Steelers pro scouting coordinator Brandon Hunt interviewed with the Philadelphia Eagles over the weekend. The franchise is also planning to speak with Morocco Brown. He is the Indianapolis Colts director of scouting. Brown interviewed for the Steelers' general manager's job. He was also a candidate for the Bears' job before they hired Ryan Poles, it appears that current Eagles general manager Howie Roseman is rig configuring his front office. As Pro Football Talk points out, eight Philadelphia front office employees have either been dismissed or left jobs of their own accord in recent weeks. And one issue that the new Steelers general manager will be taking on is to improve the Steelers' depth at cornerback. Somebody that might help just hit the market. The Giants have released James Bradbury. Six foot one, two twelve, a Pro Bowler in 2020, but his salary cap hit is more than 21 million dollars. The space that such a move will create for New York is going to be in excess of 10 million, according to the Athletic. With Joe Hayden still unsigned, the Steelers' current cornerback depth chart features the likes of Justin Lane, Akella Witherspoon, Levi Wallace, Cam Sutton, James Pierre, and Arthur Mollette. So not a lot of star power, to say the least. But apparently NFC rivals of the Giants in the East Division, the Commanders and Eagles, are already being rumored as potential destinations. So just want to throw a couple football nuggets out there. We'll talk more about football with Mike Pursuta tomorrow on the CityCast. We'll look ahead to Game 6. We'll talk baseball as well and see how his doubleheader, double duty, is paying off. Uh, see if that A's-Tigers doubleheader works out the same way that so many have for him so far this year. We'll get into all that on the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com.